the first item on your outline is an introduction back to the beginning, which is why I've asked you to turn to Genesis 1. Okay. So this last sermon, I, uh, I, I said a number of things. We learned, hopefully, a bunch of things. And first we said that work is a God thing. So in Genesis 1, what you'll see is the account of creation. And work is a God thing. God went to work right away. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then how God creates, he creates out of nothing. He creates ex nihilo, as we say it. And he's able to create out of just speaking. Then God said, let there be light. Verse 6, then God said, right? Verse 9, then God said. Verse 14, then God said. Right? Verse 20, then God said. Right? Then God said, verse 24. In verse 26, he comes to the pinnacle of creation. And he says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God worked by making all of creation. And, and what a marvelous work it is and has been. And when God works, God also rests. So uh, in Genesis chapter 2, we read this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So God rested from his work. So first, we learn that work is a God thing. And then secondly, we learn that work is a good thing. So again, going through Genesis chapter 1, we, we read in verse 4, God saw that the light was good. Verse 10, God saw that it was good. Verse 12, God saw that it was good. He creates more stuff. Verse 18, God saw that it was good. Verse 21, more stuff. God saw that it was good. 25, God saw that it was good. And then at the end, the scriptures say this, verse 31, 131, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was very good. Okay? Now, because work was made by God to be a good thing, he also gives man, uh, a mandate to humankind, to man, to do that good thing. God makes man in his image. He makes man male and female. And because man is made in God's image, man works just as God works. He's supposed to work just as God works. Okay? So before the fall, there is work. Okay? Now that mandate is found in Genesis 20, uh, 1, 28. God blessed the man, and uh, God blessed them, rather. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay? So that's the mandate. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, rule over it. Okay? And then when we skip over to Genesis chapter 2 and read verse 15, then we, say, we, we read this. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. As Pastor Matt pointed out to us a couple of weeks ago, this word for cultivate, cultivate is related to the word for slave. I don't know if you caught that uh, three weeks ago. So man was designed to be a worker bound to his master, who is the Lord. This wasn't a bad thing. 
right? Now, slave carries a lot of negative connotations for us, being Americans and our country have a having a long and sordid history with slavery. But on the other hand, being a slave to an all-good, all-powerful master is the best job that you can possibly have. The writers of the New Testament call themselves and call us Christians slaves or bondservants of Christ. So, number one, work is a God thing, and number two, work is a good thing, and then number three, the work is a ground thing. Now, then we turn to chapter three, and we learn that as a result of man's sin, work became cursed. Specifically, God cursed the ground, which is man's domain to cultivate and keep and exercise dominion over, right? Okay, he cursed the ground, okay? In verse 17, he writes, uh, God says this to Adam. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So there's this theme of the ground. The, the ground is cursed, and when Adam dies, he wasn't designed to die, but because of his fallen human nature, and because God had promised that as a result of his rebellion and disobedience, he would die, he did eventually die physically, and he would go back into the ground physically. Now, God also uh, cursed the woman's work. Her mandate was to be a helper suitable for her husband and to help him fulfill mankind's mandate to be fruitful and multiply. But God cursed childbirth, which strikes at the heart of the multiply part of the creation mandate. And then he also told her that her relationship with her husband would have conflict. Your desire will be for your husband, to usurp your husband's place. But he will rule over you, not as a gentle, loving servant leader, but will tend toward tyranny. He will rule over you. This frustrates the partnership that the husband and the wife are supposed to have in order to be fruitful because, and we've all been at work at one, uh, in one way or another, where conflict reduces productivity. So conflict reduces productivity. We are less fruitful. Okay? Now, more generally than work being cursed by God, because of their sin, God had promised them that they would die. Right? And they did die spiritually right away. Their human nature became fallen and sinful. Right? right at that instant of rebellion. And they also began to perish physically. And they would eventually die physically. Right? And that is why we all die. There is not an exception to the rule that life ends in death for us. Okay? 10 out of 10 people die. 100% of people die. Every one of us, everyone we have ever known, everyone we will ever know, everyone who has ever been born on this earth will die. And that is because of sin. Okay? The scriptures teach us the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. This is why we all die, and this is very, very bad news. We just prayed over our sister Angelique, and we are in fear that there is some horrible news, even though we, uh, 
we affirm with our words and our prayers that, that God is in control. Nonetheless, the, the fright that, the fear that she and her family are, are going through, that the rest of us are going through because of this potential medical news is the fear of death. And that is going to come for all of us. It's not necessarily going to be cancer. It's not necessarily going to be um, war. It's not necessarily going to be a car accident. But we will all die somehow. And that is bad news because we are rebels against God, but for God's grace. The scriptures go on uh, and say that the wages of sin is death. So what you get paid for sin is death. But there's some other things that are not wages, which is a free gift. But the free gift of God is everlasting life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the bad news is that we're all going to die and what we deserve is hell forever and ever and ever. But the good news, the gospel as we call it, is that we can have everlasting life. That we can be set free from the penalty of sin and we can also be set free from the power of sin that rules over us, that enslaves us. Instead of having a good master, which is God, who, and, and, and being his slave, we are instead, apart from God's grace, we are slaves to sin. So we are set free from the power and the penalty of sin. And how do we get this? By believing in Jesus. Genesis chapter 3 also speaks of the seed of the woman who is going to bruise the serpent on the head. In other words, kill the serpent and the serpent's going to bruise him on the heel. So this was Jesus who died on the cross. This is the bruising on the heel. Jesus was the, the eternal son of God, the second person of the triune Godhead who took on an additional human nature, but not a, hu a fallen human nature like ours, a perfect human nature. He was born of a virgin. He was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he came to live a life of sinlessness, of perfection that we could never live. But Jesus lived a life of perfection. And then he gave himself on the cross for us. And how do we get saved by that? By believing in him. When you prostrate yourself before God, you come to the cross and you say, God, I am sinful. God, I need forgiveness. God, I need your mercy. And it's not on the basis of anything that I've done, any merit of my own, but rather simply because of your grace and because Jesus died for me. I accept that free gift. Will you please forgive me? And God is gracious to forgive. That is the good news. There is no reincarnation where you have to live lifetime after lifetime to, to, to do good. There is no scales where God somehow, you know, uh, takes your heart and then weighs it because the scales would be heavily in sin's favor. Right? There is just God's grace. So all of these other religious systems that you may have heard of or know about, those are all based on our works. They are all based on things that we do. And it's very, very hard work and it is in fact either leads to futility because we can't do it or pride because somehow we've thought that we can do it. But with God, there is neither of those things because there is only grace and there is only us humbling ourselves before him. So come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and be saved from your sin. Okay. That is actually the fourth thing that we discussed, which is that, that work is a gospel thing because of what Jesus did. The, the life that he lived, the work that he did on the cross, work is a 
gospel thing, specifically that, that work is Christ, Christ's work is a gospel thing for us. Okay? That brings us to Genesis chapter 4. So, because we've gone through Genesis 1 through 3, and then we touch on Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. We are all familiar with the basic facts of what happened. Cain was the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. Abel was the second son, and Cain murdered his brother Abel. Literally the first human being ever born grew up to be a murderer. You have Adam, he was made out of the ground. We have Eve, he was made from his rib. But the first human being who was ever born grew up to be a murderer. When we say the fall was the fall, it really was a fall. Things went downhill really quick for the human race. Now, obviously, there's a lot to understand with regard to Cain and Abel, but since this sermon is about work, I only want to point out a couple of small facts about them. Okay? Verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2. She gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer. Okay, that's their vocation. Each brother had his own vocation, his own calling. This is what they did for work in order to support their families, in order to you know, produce food to survive. This is what they did in order to fulfill that creation mandate to be fruitful. So I just want to touch on that. Right? Now, verse 4 and 5 3, 4, and 5 uh, says this. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, okay, which means uh, of his produce. Abel, on, the, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, having read all that, I, I'm actually not even going to touch that very much because there's quite a lot to, to touch on. But suffice it to say that this is the thing that causes, Ab uh, causes Cain to get angry, right? And this is what causes him to, to murder Abel. And then some of the most infamous words in the entire Bible, God comes to Cain and he says, Lord says to Cain, verse 9, where is Abel your brother? And Cain says, I do not know. That's a lie. And am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? The murderer says, how should I know where my brother is? And of course God knows. He knew uh, Adam and Eve took, you know, ate the fruit in the garden, so he knows. And God says, verse 11, now you are cursed from the ground. There is this thing again, the curse from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Okay, so in chapter three, we read that, the, uh, that work is going to be toil, become toil, and now it's going to produce thorns and thistles, you know, weeds and that sort of thing, right? And then in, but for Cain, it's even worse. So now it's not even going to yield any fruitfulness, right? He's going to need to be like a hunter-gatherer or something like that. But notice that even in that, because Cain then complains that, oh, it's like so bad, right? It's so bad. This, is, this punishment is too great. But God spares Cain. He allows Cain to live. 
God is gracious. God could have taken Cain's life right away, but he didn't. God is gracious, and he's gracious with us as well because the, the moment that we sin, he could take us as well and send us straight to hell, but he doesn't. He's gracious with us. He's patient with us. He's kind with us. So let me leave that there. Uh, we are going to come back to uh, the, the offering, uh, hopefully in a, in a couple more sermons from now. We'll come back to the offering and, um, uh, from Cain and Abel, okay? And how we should give offerings in faith and not how Cain did, okay? Next, uh, by way of introduction, we turn the page again. Chapter 5, uh, we turn to another familiar character from early in the Bible, Noah. Again, we're not going to uh, go over the more well-known element of the flood, but rather just Noah's name and the work that God had called him to do. Now, we are first introduced to Noah in Genesis 5.28. 5.28, this is what uh, the scripture says. Uh, Noah's father, Lamech, lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now, he called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work, and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Now, Noah's name in Hebrew means comfort or rest. Lamech knew that the reason things were the way they were was because of the sin in the Garden of Eden Eden, and the Lord cursing the ground. This turned work, which existed as a good thing before the fall, into toil. And Lamech's hope is that his son Noah would be the one who would crush the head of the serpent and reverse the curse. Now that turned out not to be the case, but nonetheless, his, Noah's name uh, is, you know, embodies the hope of humanity and specifically the, the hope of his father who named him. Right? Now God did, however, use Noah mightily. He gave Noah work to do, so Noah also had a calling, and Noah did that work in faith. Right? The, the Lord... Uh, called Noah to a task, and Noah performed it. Genesis 6, okay, now verses 13 to 16, these commands are pretty familiar. Uh, God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. So, here's your calling. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, and you shall make the ark with rooms, and you shall cover it inside and out with pitch, with tar, Make it waterproof. This is how you shall make it, et cetera, et cetera, the length, the breadth, all this stuff, okay? Make a window, et cetera, all right? So that's his work. And guess what? Noah was a righteous man. He, he obeyed out of faith, and he did the work faithfully. So in verse 7, 5, skipping ahead, again, Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, okay? Noah fulfilled his calling. Okay, now we fast forward. Uh, on your outline, it says that uh, the next s- section is going to be the Exodus. Called God calls workers for his glory. We're going to uh, fast forward through the rest of the, the book of Genesis. And I'm particularly short on time, so I'm going to really fast forward. So Genesis 6 through 9, the flood. Genesis 10, 11, Tower of Babel. Then starting in Genesis 12, all the way through the, the end of Genesis, we have the, the history of a family that became a nation. The patriarch of this family was Abraham. He begat Isaac, and then there became J- Jacob, uh, who was renamed Israel because he struggled with God. Israel had uh, 12 sons with four wives. Okay, that's not part of the creation mandate, but nonetheless, God is gracious. So 12 sons of Israel who moved to Egypt, and as we learn later, they spent 400 years in Egypt being fruitful and definitely multiplying. 
So there's you know, 600,000 some odd you know, uh, men of fighting age, and so that's probably when you add the women and the children, maybe around two million people, right? So this next part of our outline is the Exodus, God calls workers for his glory. Now, if you ask anyone what is the major point of Exodus, no one will say that the major point of Exodus is that God calls workers for his glory. It's just that we can learn about work and our vocation by studying this one facet of the jewel that is the scriptures. Okay, all we're asking is, what does the construction of the tabernacle, which is in the book of Exodus, teach us about work and about vocation, okay, our calling? So that being said, the first uh, point under this section is that God calls his chosen people out of Egypt. So if you've turned already to uh, Exodus chapter 1, Exodus chapter 1, where, again, we're going to fast forward, and so, you know, don't need to take notes on this, but I just want to give you the, the background of what's going to happen before we get to chapter 31. Exodus 1, the Israelites are enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt. Chapter 2, Moses is born. He's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He goes on to murder an Egyptian, and he, gets, and he escapes. He has to get away, right? Exodus 3, burning bush. God uh, is called by the Lord to free the Israelites. Chapters 4 through 12, he goes back, he talks to Pharaoh, he's dealing with him, there's the 10 plagues. Exodus 12 and 13, the Passover, the 10th plague is the, the killing by the angel of death of the firstborn of, of, of everyone who doesn't have uh, in faith blood over the doorway. So there's the Passover. Then there's the Exodus, the, the uh, escape from Egypt. Okay. Exodus 14, the parting of the Red Sea. Exodus 15 through 18, the Lord provides manna and water. Exodus 19, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Okay. Exodus 21 to 23, other laws. Exodus 24, the Israelites affirm their covenant with the Lord. All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Spoiler alert, they don't. None of the people who said that are going to survive the 40 years in the desert, which is later, okay? All right, so this brings us to the next point. God commissions the tabernacle. God commissions the tabernacle starting in chapter 25. Okay, Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution. We need stuff to build this tabernacle. Then he starts giving the, the, um, the instructions, okay? And I've put a little chart up here. Again, you don't have to take the notes on it. But basically, as you go from 25 to 30, you're going to uh, see that the Lord is giving um, uh, a lot of instructions on, on, on what to do to, in order to build the ark, to build the tabernacle, which is the, the tent and everything else that, uh, that houses the ark, okay, the ark of the covenant. Okay, they shall construct an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all the instructions uh, on, on this sheet. So we're skipping over page 26, uh, sorry, chapter 26, 27. 28 and 29 is about the priests, okay? Chapter 30, the altar of incense, the bronze washing pool or the laver. All right, now this gets us to chapter 31. Chapter 31. I'm gonna park here for just a minute. So, now the Lord spoke to Moses, chapter 31, verse 1, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. Okay, listen. I have filled him with the Spirit of God 
in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold, in silver, and in bronze, and in the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood, that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. And behold, I myself have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. Different tribe, okay? And in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill, that they may make all that I have commanded you. All right, so there's this command. All right, the reason why I want to uh, choose this kind of lengthy passage for, for vocation and for our calling is because we can learn some things about what we should do for work from what uh, God has been telling the Israelites in, in, building the, uh, in building the ark. Okay? So then he's going to say, you know, he goes on to say, here's all the things that are going to be built. Um, they're going to build the tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, the mercy seat upon it, all the furniture of the tent, verse 8, the table and also the utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, sorry, this was on, right, uh, the incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the laver, the stand, the woven garments as well, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, the garments of his sons with which to carry on their priesthood, which is their calling, the anointing oil also, we, also, we had anointing oil earlier in the service. And the fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them according to all that I have commanded you. Okay, so God commissions this work and it's going to happen. Now look what happens at the, at, to, at the rest of chapter 31. Is the sign of the Sabbath. All right? Of all the Ten Commandments, the one we probably take least seriously, maybe with the exception of the coveting one, is, is the sign of the Sabbath, is the Sabbath one. That's because for us Christians, the, the law no longer applies and Jesus is our Sabbath rest. But nonetheless, for the Israelites, the Sabbath was an important thing. You shall surely observe my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Uh, skip ahead. Everyone who profanes the Sabbath shall surely be put to death. It's a capital crime to, to violate the Sabbath. Verse 17, it is a sign between me and the sons of Israel, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. Okay, so we read that in Genesis 1 and 2. Okay. All right, and when he had finished speaking with Moses upon Mount Sinai, verse 18, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone. This is the Ten Commandments written on two tablets of stone, written by the finger of God. Okay? All right, so there's a few things here. Number one, the Lord has called. He called Bezalel by name. Right? He called him. He chose Bezalel, and he's going to commission Bezalel to be the leader of this effort. He also appointed a, the helper, a Holiab. Right? Now, the Lord fills Bezalel with the Holy Spirit. I mentioned earlier the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, the eternal God the Son who became Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is the third person of God. So the Lord fills Bezalel with the Holy Spirit. Third, he's filled with four things. Wisdom, which is doing things why and for the right reason as opposed to foolishness. Number two, understanding the how of how to do something as opposed to lacking the ability to comprehend how to do it. Knowledge, uh, this is the what, what to do as opposed to ignorance, not knowing what to do. And craftsmanship. 
Again, how, as opposed to incompetence. Okay, so he's gifting Bezalel and all the skilled workers with all these things. And then he enables Bezalel to do the work that the Lord wants to be done. And the take-home point here is that the Lord works through human beings for God's glory and to bless others. Okay? And number five, the takeaway is the human being then goes on to do the work. Okay? It goes on to do the work so that he may work. All right. So... Um, so fast forward again, chapter 32, the golden calf, infamous uh, deal. Moses shatters the Ten Commandments tablets. Exodus 33, Moses and the Lord speak. That's when Mo the Lord hides Moses in the cleft of the rock while the Lord passes by. Uh, there's a hymn about that. Uh, Exodus 34, the Lord replaces the Ten Commandments tablets. He reiterates the covenant with Moses. Moses' face is shining with the Shekinah glory, which brings us to 35. And the next point on your outline, I'm really running short of time, uh, God's commands are to be obeyed to the letter. Uh, uh, sorry, are obeyed to the letter. Okay, verse, uh, chapter 35. Then Moses assembled all the congregation of the sons of Israel and he says to them, these are the things which the Lord has commanded you to do. Okay, so the Lord is calling them to do this. And he talks about the, uh, the Sabbath again, et cetera, et cetera. He repeats the calling of, oops, skipped over. He repeats the calling of the Lord at the end of uh, chapter 35, starting in verse 31. See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri. Okay, so, and he, he, uh, he repeats uh, the things that the Lord has said. Okay? He also says, note this in verse 34, he also has put it in his heart to teach both he and Aholiab. So it's not that Bezalel is going to do all of this by himself. There's two million other people that can, can, can do stuff. Okay? So he's going he's to teach other people how to do it and fill them with skill, etc., etc., etc. And then they did it, uh, beginning of chapter 36. Uh, they are going to perform this all uh, in accordance with how the Lord uh, commanded. And then verse 2 of 36, everyone whose heart stirred him to come to the work to perform it. Okay, so God calls the people answer. It's vocation, it's calling. All right, so um, the instructions are totally matched up, okay, in terms of the instructions and then the matching. So I've put the chart here. This was the, the part we were looking at earlier. All of these things are the things that, that they're making. And uh, you can see here, chapter 37, it's not totally in order, it's the same as the instructions were, but nonetheless, here's chapter 36, chapter 39, kind of backtrack a little bit, uh, the altar of incense, uh, chapter 37. Uh, the point of all that, we're not going to go verse by verse, we'd be here for days or weeks, um, is that they were called to do this work and they did it. Uh, I do want to show for you that one set of instructions, um, it, was, it was done exactly according to God's calling. So Exodus 25 is where he gives the instructions how to make the, the ark, right? Uh, and then in Exodus 37 is, is doing the ark. So I, I rearranged it this way. Just, they shall construct an ark of acacia wood. Now Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits long, two and a half cubits, one and a half cubits wide. It's width one and a half cubits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can see that for yourself. Uh, I've put it, and again, this is why I like paper because you can like flip back and forth a lot more easily than... I don't know, on an iPad or something like that, right? So, uh, God, God called them to work. They performed the work. So, if we then, 
And I'm just going to skip ahead. If we then skip, you know, all the way um, to, let's see, chapter 39, chapter 39, we read uh, in various different verses, for example, in verse, uh, well, we'll just go to verse 26. Verse 26, they performed all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse uh, 29, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. 31, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, etc., etc. So they did the work um, exactly to the letter, right? And that is how God's work ought to be done, is, is exactly the way God wants it to be done, okay? So, thus, when we read in verse 32, 39, 32, thus, the, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was completed, and the sons of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. So it's, it's done. Right? And at the end of chapter 40, at the end of the book of Exodus, they erected the tent, and at the end it says, um, you know, at the, at the end, verse 33 says, thus Moses finished the work. This is great. And in uh, verse 38 of chapter 40, throughout all their journeys, uh, sorry, Verse 34, rather. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The filled their tabernacle. Okay? So, all of this work is done for the glory of God. Right? They're building the tabernacle according to God's instructions. And they're also doing it to bless themselves. So, Bezalel, all of his work, blessing others, the other two million uh, Israelites. Okay? And this brings us to the next header on your outline, which is on the other side of the sheet, the vocation. God calls us to do our work. Okay. I've written up here three circles. Um, when I was uh, quite a bit younger, 20 years ago almost, I had a great job and a great boss named Don. It's a little bit weird because... Uh, I think about it like 19 years ago, 20 years ago, and probably Don was my age, and I thought he was so old at that time. It's weird what you think is old when you are younger. So I actually don't know how old he is, but anyway, Don, if you're listening, then that's awesome. All right, so Don drew three uh, circles for me, and he said, okay, so Tony, this is how you choose uh, what, what you're supposed to do. Um, number one, there's a set of things that you're good at, okay? So you can fill that in on the blank. Things that I am good at, okay? Number two, there's things that I enjoy, okay? So things that I enjoy might not necessarily be things that I'm good at. I'll give you plenty of examples. My next door neighbor likes to play music. He's not good at it, but he certainly enjoys it. Okay, number three, things that what? Things that I can get paid for, right? That's good. Right? And so Don drew these three circles. He drew them more like, you know, like evenly overlapping. I've got a th fourth circle, obviously. For, and, and then he's like, he pointed to this part. He colored this part in and he said, if you can do that, that's where the magic happens. Okay? Things that you're good at, that you enjoy, and that you can get paid for, that's what you should do. And I realized years later, um, being a Christian or, you know, uh, maybe more precisely, be, becoming a better Christian, like growing in Christ-likeness, that there was actually a fourth circle. A fourth circle. And that is over here. And what's this? Things that bless others. Okay. 
So yeah, because there can be things that I can get paid for that I enjoy, that I'm good at, but that doesn't give me leave to um, be a, a, a contract killer or drug dealer, a pornographer, or you know, an abortionist or something like that, right? Because the evil that is done in those types of lines of work does not outweigh, uh, is not outweighed by whatever blessing there might be to other people, right? Your, your hitman boss or whatever it is, right? So with that, you know, you might say that now that overlapping area is your vocation, right? So Bezalel, you know, was good at things because God gave him the gift to be good at things. It doesn't talk much about his enjoyment, but I assume he enjoyed it. Uh, doesn't talk about his pay either, but, you know, people uh, enjoy things, are good at it, they get paid, and he certainly blessed others, right? So, here's, then, I, I do want to l sort of leave you with that, but I want to also say that this, this definition of vocation is actually a little bit too narrow, or maybe a lot too narrow. Because even though this can give us a lot of wisdom as to like evaluating things that we should do with our lives, it's, um, it's too narrow compared to a theology of vocation, which I don't have a, a ton of time to get into. But vocation being calling, God is calling you to do things. God, God has actually called you to do whatever it is that you are doing now. Even if you don't like it, even if you aren't getting paid, even if you uh, aren't good at it, you know, even if it's temporary, let's say you're a student, perhaps you're not a very good student and you don't like school, so none of these things apply, but it is still your calling to do that at this time because vocations can change over time. Okay? It's also the case that we have different callings, right? different vocations depending on the different roles that we play in life. I have callings as a husband that are different from my callings as a father, and in terms of monetary terms, uh, I don't get paid for those things, right? I have callings as a pastor that are different from my callings as, let's say, I don't know, a little league coach or a soccer referee, right? Of course, not all work is paid. So that whole circle, you know, do I, like, yeah, it's good in terms of having a job that, like, supports my family and I can use uh, to, to give offerings and to share with other people and to be generous and to help the needy. But... Uh, there are lots of other things that we do on a volunteer basis or just your, your main line of work is you are a parent at home taking care of everything for no pay and it's still a calling and it is a blessed work that, let's just say moms, moms and wives do, okay? So there's all, this, there's, there's all of these things. So I think that we can take from that and, and from these four circles um, our, our calling. And then, you know, on top of all of that, there is one more circle that needs to be drawn, and that is God's glory, which overlays the whole thing. So no matter what you do, the scriptures say, 1 Corinthians 10.31, do for God's glory. If you're not doing things for God's glory, which would in include those, like, evil things or whatever, then you are, you've got your priorities mixed up. Because God's glory should be your number one priority, as we read in Exodus. Right? God's glory filled the tabernacle and rested there, and it was, he was with the people. So God's glory has got to be number one. And other people's good, the blessing thing, is what I would consider number two. And then if there was number three, uh, listing it in order, I would say the, our third motivation is our own joy. Right? If you get those things mixed up, you will 
uh, you will go astray. Right? If I start doing things for my own joy first, my heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick, so I will start sinning if I don't do things for God's glory first, other people's good next, and, or you know, concurrently, and, and, and then my joy you know, kind of comes third. Right? But those, I think, are three biblical uh, reasons for doing anything. Okay, three biblical reasons for doing anything. Okay, so in conclusion, right, uh, uh, heeding God's call, how we work and how we spend time during this life has been a little bit the focus of this sermon, okay? And hopefully I've given you some uh, godly and wise ways to think about uh, what we should do in terms of work, and I, and I appreciate uh, you um, being patient with me and keeping up with me as I've gone through really quick, uh, because I felt a little bit short on time. I want to be respectful of your time, and I realize we're going to go a little bit over. But nonetheless, um, that is just one dimension of our calling, right? Because as we read from Second Peter at the beginning of service, we have a, we have we also have a calling to to be reconciled to God, to to trust in Jesus, and to believe the good news and be forgiven by God through the good news. So what we believe about God and Jesus for salvation uh, is another part of our calling. And what we do to share this good news and lead people to Christ, which actually is some people's job, right? Evangelists are, are paid to do this, right? Uh, or, you know, uh, get financial support, I should say, to, to do this, right? Is part of our calling. Now, we fully believe in God's sovereignty, right? So that when he pr uh, purposes to save someone, it's not as though that someone can resist. So, right? so there's no one who's resisting God and like, not coming to Jesus who says, um, well, God is calling me for sure, but you know what? I am powerful enough to resist. No, his grace is irresistible. So when God purposes to save someone, he is sovereign. He's going to save that person. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Okay? So... My sheep hear my voice, Jesus is God. You're going to respond to, to Jesus if you are one of his sheep, right? That being said, let me exhort you pastorally, don't resist the call of God to believe in Jesus, to repent, and to be saved. Don't resist. I echo the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For God says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. So come to Jesus now. Don't resist. Heed his call. All right? And fellow Christians... I address you as fellow Christians, if you have, in fact, heeded that call, you have been saved. So what, then what is our call? Our call is to spread the good news. Don't sin by refusing to share the good news of Jesus with others, which we are called to do. Don't sin by refusing to learn more and to grow in holiness through study and prayer, which we are called to do. Don't sin by refusing to be a disciple who in turn makes disciples, right? which we are called to do. A disciple is one who purposefully rearranges his life in order to be that more like his master. 
Our master, because we are slaves to Christ, is Christ, is God. And we want to be more like Jesus. Right? Romans 8 talks about how God is conforming us to be more, to, more and more to be in the image of his son. So we are growing more like Jesus. Don't refuse to do that. Right? And make disciples. Whatever our occupation is, these things are also our vocation. These things are also our vocation. And let's just be frank. What we do at work, let's say we go off to a workplace, or if we're working at the home and we have children, those little unbelievers or those big unbelievers, that is part of our calling. That is our vocation to lead people to Christ. Like, by definition, non-Christians aren't going to come here in high numbers. They're not. But you can go to them in your workplace. So our calling in our workplace is actually the place where we can also perform part of our other calling, which is to preach the gospel to all creation and also to make disciples of those who become saved out of God's grace due to Christ's work through their faith. So go and do that thing, right? That is the evangelistic part of the, of the vocation that God has given us. Whatever it is that we are, whether we work for, you know, the Air Force, the Space Force, or, you know, uh, Chick-fil-A, or whatever it is, right? That is our occupation. That is our vocation, at least for now. But then our vocation also is to preach the gospel and make disciples, okay? And now, at the end of service, I will call you to the table to take the Lord's Supper, right? Taking the bread declares that the Lord Jesus gave his body for us. He sacrificed himself for us. Taking the juice declares that the Lord Jesus secured the new covenant by spilling his blood for the sinful, us. Which the sacrifices in the tabernacle and later in the temple were also just a symbol of, right? A symbol of, of sacrifice for sin. Now, in taking this meal together, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. So then we join with the Christians throughout the ages in calling, in calling out to Jesus, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do call out Maranatha. We do, Lord, call you to come. Lord, you've been patient with us. Uh, not wanting any to, to perish, but for all to come uh, to faith through repentance and through your grace. And Lord, would you make us vessels of your mercy and grace that we may carry this good news uh, to an unbelieving and perishing world. Uh, that this would be part of our calling, that no matter what it is, the, hands, uh, the work of the hands that you have given us to do, that we would do those things faithfully, ethically, according to your standards, and in addition to that, that we would continue sharing the gospel and that out of your grace, more sinners would be converted unto you. This is our earnest prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen.